0: When you stop and think about all that's going on today in the good old USA, you might think that there are only two sides to every story. With over 330 million citizens, there are actually many more sides to our American story. On this program, I provide you with a different point of view. Mine. This is The Truth Hurts a program where I exercise my First Amendment right to free speech by providing you with information. Hopefully, you will absorb this knowledge, stop, and actually think about the issues, the facts, and the general state of our American story. I'm Steve Z, and this is the Truth Hurts Program. Political correctness is total BS. We apologize if you are offended, but we retract nothing. This is the Truth Hurts Program. Good afternoon, everyone. It is September 21st, 2020. This is the afternoon edition of the Truth Hurts Program with me, your host, the lovable, loyal, thrifty, clean, brave, and reverent former Boy Scout, Steve Z. The Fear of Fraud in the November elections is far, far worse now in 2020 than it ever was in 2016. If you recall, in 2016, Donald Trump warned of potential election fraud and his fears that Hillary Rotten Clinton was going to use foreign influence to sway that election. And it was her savior, Barack Hussein Barry Sotero Obama, Who went on television and radio and social media to ensure all Americans that Trump was insane and to tell Americans how safe and secure and infallible our election process is and how decentralized the process was. Remember? Then, when Trump pulled out his Election Day win, especially after all the polls were saying Hillary Clinton would win in a landslide, Hillary and Obama. And the rest of the Democrats went crazy and started a a three-and-a-half-year campaign to try and convince us that the election was tampered with and that it was the same Russians that Trump was concerned about cheating Hillary into the White House that were now the ones who cheated Trump into the White House. That, my friends, was bad enough. But 2020 is completely and totally a different race. With the very high likelihood of mail-in voter fraud on a national scale, no system in place for checks and balances to ensure that the nation will not be the victim of people voting twice or three or four or God knows how many times. With all the states that are now saying they won't call a winner until after all the in-person voting numbers are tallied and then wait for several days for the mail-in votes to be, quote, received, and tabulated, unquote. One can only speculate at just how the Democrats will hatch their overall plan to steal the 2020 presidential election. But even as the fears on the Republican side are being weighed carefully by the Democrats so that they can measure their response, they, the Democrats, have schemes of their own in place to lie, to cheat, to steal, as it is their normal modus operandi. According to the Sluffington Post, Well, it might be better if I just read this article to you to give you an idea of their mindset than to try and paraphrase it. This article was posted Sunday, September 20th, and it's entitled The Nightmare Scenario That Could Keep Election Lawyers Up At Night and Could Hand Trump a Second Term. The article begins, Americans will almost certainly go to bed on November 3rd without knowing who won the presidential election. Since millions of people will vote by mail, constraints on time and resources will slow ballot counting into potentially a weeks-long process. Voting patterns suggest that it's likely that President Donald Trump could end Election Day in the lead in certain key states, only to be overtaken by Democratic opponent Joe Biden when more votes are tallied. Stop. Yeah, no kidding when all those mail-in fraudulent votes are tallied. Gotcha. Back to the article. This could create a nightmare scenario during the three months stretching from election day to the January 20th inauguration, a battle on the state and congressional level over who is the legitimate winner. This could include Congress reconvening on January 6th, presided over by Vice President Mike Pence with no consensus over its potential role in choosing the next president. This arguably the most likely of the contested election narratives, and now the Supreme Court, which will likely have to rule on the legal arcana at issue in this epic battle, has been thrown into its own nightmare scenario with the death of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The article continues, Trump is already setting the stage to declare that anything but a victory for himself means the election is rigged. Stop. He's probably right. How many Biden signs do you see in people's yards? Back to the article. His, Trump's, penchant for conspiracism and open contempt for American democracy. Stop. 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 This is obviously a very biased article against the sitting president of the United States. His penchant for conspiracism? Uh, Okay, I can buy that. But his open contempt for American democracy? Come on, Sluffington Post. You're full of crap and you know it. Trump is one hell of a lot more patriotic and supportive of our democracy than Barack Hussein the Muslim Obama. Give me a break. I'll go back to this sentence again in the article. His penchant for conspiracism and open contempt for American democracy, combined with this procedural confusion, could lead to a genuine democratic crisis. That may not lead to the sort of authoritarian takeover that some, such as Trump's former top political advisor Roger Stone, have dreamed of. But Trump could use the courts, along with Republican allies at the state level and in Congress, To cling to power. Stop. Stop it, Sluffington Post. Trump wants a fair and free election, this time just like he wanted a fair and free election last time, free of all the corruption that Hillary Clinton and her ilk had brought to the table. The article continues, Trump is a norm breaker, Rick Hazen an election law expert at the University of California, Irvine, and the author of Election Meltdown. He has lied repeatedly about the security of mail-in balloting. He has made numerous unsupported claims about how the only way he could lose his election is if it is rigged against him. And so he's been actively casting doubt on the election process and creating the conditions where I think both sides believe the other side is primed. To steal the election, unquote. First of all, Rick, you're a jackass. I don't care if you're an election law expert at the University of California, Irvine, a liberal, very liberal, Democrat leaning university. Who cares what your opinion is? You're saying he lied repeatedly about the security of mail in balloting. There is no lie, there is no security in mail in balloting. The article continues. Here's how it could play out. At the end of November 3, hundreds of thousands of ballots will likely remain left to count in key states, particularly Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Stop. Of course, those are the states that are on fire right now because Democrats are allowing rioting, looting, anarchy, and all the other crap to go on over the false narrative of systemic racism. Back to the article. It will be nearly impossible for election clerks on Election Day to count the record number of absentee and provisional ballots that are anticipated to be cast in those three states, as well as in other crucial battlegrounds. Election officials in many states are underfunded and under resourced, and in some, by law, are not allowed to begin counting ballots until Election Day. Stop. No shit, Sherlock. How can you count ballots before Election Day? Come on. Grow up. If you can go to Walmart, you can go to the polls. If you can go to church, you can go to the polls. If you can go outside to protest, damn it, you can go to the polls. Grow up. Back to the article. Polling and absentee ballot request data from some states show that Democratic voters are far more likely to cast their ballots via the mail during the coronavirus pandemic, and that Republicans are more inclined to vote in person. In Pennsylvania, for example, 70% of all absentee ballot requests were made by registered Democrats as of September 14th. I'm not going to comment on that. I'm going to leave that one alone. A dynamic known as the Blue Shift already has shown that ballots counted after Election Day tend to favor Democratic candidates, as their voters are more likely to cast provisional ballots in person or return their absentee ballots closer to the receipt deadline. Stop. Ding, 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 ding. Fraud alert. Potential fraud alert. Potential fraud alert. You not see that they have all but admitted they're going to do this? Back to the article. Combine the existing blue shift with the pandemic-induced jump in absentee voting, and it becomes clear that a great divergence could emerge between the November 3 results and the actual finish final tally when late-arriving absentee and provisional ballots are counted. Trump could easily go to bed with a lead in key states based on an incomplete tally on election night and wake up to see that lead eroding based on the totally normal counting of valid ballots. A red mirage, as one political consultant called it in an interview with Axios. Stop. Let me translate this to you in English, folks. What it means is no matter how many votes Trump is ahead by on election night when the actual voters who voted in person are counted, then the Democrats will have a lot of time to stuff the ballot boxes with a bunch of quote unquote mail-in ballots already pre-processed to give Biden a victory. It's called cheating. It's called ballot box stuffing. It's called election fraud. And it is highly possible, and under these scenarios, very likely. That clown Hazen said, It's easy to see those normal corrections and calibrations that happen after Election Day being fodder for conspiracy theorists like Trump. This nightmare scenario continues as lawsuits are filed by both parties over which votes should or should not be counted. Stop. Remember the hanging chads? Remember the voting that went on in Florida and the months and months of questioning the election where George W. Bush beat Al Gore? Think about that multiplied times 1,000. We may never know who actually won this election. Back to the article. But as the late counted ballots begin to turn the three key rust belt states of Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin in Biden's favor, the article continues, Trump can be expected to declare the whole vote counting process illegitimate. Stop. And rightly so. Rightly so. The article continues, perhaps some irregularities will occur a high number of rejected ballots due to normal voter errors, or maybe too many of Trump's voters try to vote twice. What? You're only worried about Trump's voters voting twice? What about all the dead Democrats that vote each and every time? What about the Democrats who will likely vote twice or three or four times? Okay, back to the article. It says, perhaps some irregularities will occur. A high number of rejected ballots due to normal voter errors, or perhaps too many of Trump's voters try to vote twice, as he has encouraged, something he could point to as election fraud. But Trump could also call the election tainted, even if there's no reason to do so, a notably disturbing possibility. Ned Foley, an election law expert at Ohio State University's Moritz College of Law, Who wrote a paper in 2019 about this exact scenario said, There is a risk that the parties start fighting over the vote tallies even where there's no problem with the vote tallies. We could see a situation where they're fighting even when the system is working properly. Yeah, nice job. You guys are planning this and and plotting and engineering and architecturing it. It's ridiculous. He continues, Trump has already prepared for this potential situation. He says mailing ballots to voters is unfair. He boasts, without evidence, that the 2020 election will be, quote, inaccurate and fraudulent, and the most rigged election in history, unquote. Foreign governments will forge mail-in ballots, he asserts, again without foundation, but you and I both know it doesn't even have to be foreign governments. It can be BLM or any other leftist organization. The article continues. People that aren't citizens, illegals, anybody that walks in California is going to get a ballot, Trump tweeted. And he set a bar for when the outcome is declared. Must know election results on the night of election, not days, months, or even years later, Trump tweeted in July. This is just an update of what Trump said in 2018 after the Florida Senate race came down to the ballots counted after Election Day. Trump declared an honest vote count is no longer possible. Ballots massively infected. Must go with election night. Republican challenger Rick Scott did prevail over Democrat incumbent Bill Nelson in that race. The article continues, Assuming Trump exhausts legal avenues in the courts, the scenario could continue. Trump says must go with election night again. Since Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin as well as North Carolina, have divided governments with Democrat governors and GOP-controlled legislatures. Trump calls on the Republicans in those legislatures to stop votes from being counted and to certify him the winner of their electoral votes ahead of the scheduled Electoral College vote December 14th. If they bend to his request, citing Article 2 of the Constitution and early examples in U.S. history of state legislatures certifying electors to justify their actions and that they view the blue shift as evidence of fraud, even if there has been nothing fraudulent about it. That's a scenario coming from the Sluffington Post. The article continues. Meanwhile, the state courts and Democratic governors of these states certify the final vote total for Biden and his electors, declaring that the approval of Trump electors by the GOP-controlled legislatures is unconstitutional. So now we have two sets of electors, one for Trump and the other for Biden, and they're all sent to Congress. American presidential elections are oddly not decided by which candidate receives the most votes. Instead, each state is apportioned a number of electoral votes based on its number of senators and representatives, the lowest number being three, the highest being California with 55. When a candidate wins a given state, it is a slate of electors that is being approved by the popular vote in that state. Elections rarely end with the winner of the overall popular vote and electoral vote diverging. It's happened three times in the 19th century and twice in the 21st century, but it's been more than a century since an election ended up with a dispute in Congress over the competing slates of electors. In 2000, the disputed election of Republican George W. Bush over Democrat Al Gore, determined by a margin of 537 votes in Florida, never moved outside of the fight within the state because the Supreme Court halted a recount. If you thought Bush-Gore was an anxiety-provoking dispute, the kind that jumps to state boundaries and goes to Congress will be a much bigger deal. The last time multiple slates of electors were sent to Congress does not provide much help of how it could be sorted out now in 2020, for that occurred in 1876 in the election between Rutherford B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden. It came down once again to who won Florida, Louisiana, Oregon, and South Carolina. Complicating matters, three of these former Confederate states, Florida, Louisiana, South Carolina, sent two separate slates of electors to Congress, and at that time, Congress was split between Democrats who controlled the House and Republicans who controlled the Senate. As one would expect to happen in the hyperpartisan post Civil War environment, Democrats in the House affirmed the Tilden electors and Republicans accepted the Hayes electors. An argument ensued over which body got to choose based on each chamber's preferred interpretation of the Constitution's 12th Amendment, which was enacted after the disputed election of 1800 to clarify the process of electing the president and the vice president. The 12th Amendment, unfortunately, did not have anything to say about the 1876 impasse. The two chambers eventually decided to appoint a commission made up of 15 members, five from the House, the Senate and the Supreme Court, the end result was a compromise of 1877, which handed Hayes the presidency in exchange for him pulling federal troops out of the former Confederacy and leaving formerly enslaved black folk to fend for themselves against what they called white terrorism and a new system of racial apartheid. Yep, you know, folks, this is a Sluffington Post article. In response to the barely averted constitutional crisis, Congress enacted the electoral count of 1887 in an attempt to formalize procedures of how Congress should handle the future of any electoral college disputes. The law, like so many other 19th century laws, was poorly written, cryptic in meaning, and riddled with ambiguities and inconsistencies. And even today, scholars cannot agree on a shared reading of the law. And that hazy law will undergird the entire process by which either Trump or Biden will ultimately prevail in the nightmare scenario I just mentioned. Congress has a clearly defined role in accepting the results of a presidential election. Both congressional chambers will meet on January 6th in a session presided over by the president of the Senate, who at that point in time will be Vice President Mike Pence. His job is to open the certifications from each state in alphabetical order, which are then read aloud by tellers, He will then ask whether members of Congress have any objections to the submitted slate of electors, and those objections must be made by at least one House member and one Senate member. In general, objections aren't made. Lawmakers are supposed to do so only if they believe a state's submission of electors was corrupted in some way. It's not unprecedented, however. In 2005, then-Representative Stephanie Tubbs-Jones, a Democrat from Ohio, and then-Senator Barbara Boxer, another Democrat from California, objected to Ohio's certification of electors for Bush in his re-election win over Democrat John Kerry. The House and Senate then separated into their respective chambers for two hours of debate before both voted down the objections. In both 2001 and 2017, Democrats in the House attempted to object to the submission of a certain slate of electors, but uh, they were not joined by a senator, so that point went by the wayside. The article continues, If Congress is faced with multiple competing slates of electors, such as a set certified by a Democrat governor based on a popular vote for Biden or one certified by a GOP slate of legislators for Trump, matters will become even more complicated. Near-total agreements exist that if both chambers of Congress vote in favor of one of the two competing slates, that one will be the one accepted. The problem emerges as if the House and the Senate split on which slate to accept. Now let me stop for a moment. Remember, the House is controlled by the Democrats and nasty, naughty Nancy Pelosi. And the Senate is run by Mitch McConnell. The article continues, the predominant view among legal experts is the law that requires Congress to accept the electors certified by the governor. This is the interpretation affirmed in a report by the National Task Force on Election Crisis, a cross-partisan ad hoc group of experts across a range of disciplines related to elections. There are, however, dissenting opinions. A handful of scholars, including one writing for the Congressional Research Service, interprets the law as nullifying the electors of a state that submit competing slates if Congress cannot agree to accept one of them. Even if legally dubious, that could be enough to nullify electors of a given state if a Republican-controlled Senate adopts this interpretation. If a divided Congress were to go down this path, two potential scenarios could result, each with a potential for chaos. In a case where Congress nullifies the electors of a given state or even multiple states, neither Trump nor Biden may meet the necessary threshold of 270 electoral votes to win the presidency. This would throw the election to the House of Representatives where each state delegation would vote for the president. The candidate who wins the most state delegation votes would become the president. As of now, Republicans have a majority in 26 state delegations, Democrats control 22, and Pennsylvania and Michigan are evenly divided. That would most likely hand the election to Trump, although the outcome of this year's House races could also change the math on that. Alternately, in another scenario, a Democrat-controlled House could pull out of the electoral vote count after rejecting any effort by a Republican-controlled Senate to nullify a state's electors or appoint electors for Trump. The House Speaker, Naughty Nasty Nancy Pelosi, could declare that the chamber will only accept electors certified by governors based on a full vote that includes late-arriving absentee mail-in ballots. If the Senate refuses to agree, Pelosi could then say that since Congress has not approved a White House winner, that kickstarts the 20th Amendment, which details what happens when there is no president-elect. Pelosi ranks as next in line after Trump and Pence, and she could say that she would serve as the acting president starting January 20th when the first term for the GOP duo expires. Stop. It's exactly what I warned you about months and months and months ago. One way or another, Nancy Pelosi will become your next president. I said that if Joe Biden wins, he will be forced to step down due to his mental deficiencies and Kamala Harris will become the president. And because nobody likes her, someone's likely to take a shot at her. And she will be, you know, and that would put Nancy Pelosi in as the new president. That's one way, and the one I just talked to you about, with Nancy Pelosi declaring that she is the president temporarily if Trump is elected. So you see, folks, this is getting strangely weird and weirdly strange. Now all of this, back to the article, all of this could be adjudicated by the Supreme Court, which could soon hold a 6-3 to three conservative majority if Republicans managed to appoint a new Trump nominee before the inauguration of a new president in January. Now think about this. Trump could appoint a new Supreme Court justice. It could be voted on by the Senate, which is the law, and be in place prior to Inauguration Day. Back to the article. That's a genuine constitutional crisis, Foley said, because... If that is protracted all the way to noon on January 20th, we know President Trump's first term ends on January 20th, and then the military needs to know who gets the nuclear code starting at noon. Who's the new commander in chief? Whether the parties end up in such a situation will be heavily influenced by the actions of Trump as well as the demands of protesters in the street. Stop! Trump is the president for the full four years of his term protesters in the street are pieces of human filth, violating the law. Screw them. Back to the article. During the 2000 recount in Florida, Republican operatives contrived protests, including the infamous Brooks Brothers riot, to pressure state election officials to stop counting ballots. Democrats have already said they will not cede protest activity to the GOP as they did in 2000. But we don't have to worry about Republicans protesting in the street. It's all the damn BLM, Democrat, Antifa rioters that are in the streets right now protesting this and that and why their own crap stinks. Back to the article. But right-wing protests have emerged in support of Trump during his term in office. Doesn't look like the work of astroturfing staffers dressed in the attire of the white Anglo-Saxon Protestant elite. He has the backing of a broad network of heavily armed militia groups. Really? Where? Far-right street fighting gangs. (laughs) Really? I haven't seen any. White supremacists. No, don't see any of those either. And a pseudo-religious cult that believes Trump is a demigod operating in secret to prevent the apocalypse. Oh, give me a break! You people are absolutely insane. The Sluffington Post, boys and girls. The article continues, Trump has primed these supporters to potentially reject election results with his false statements about voter fraud and absentee voting. He also routinely celebrates violence against his opponents, casting them as subversive, alien threats to the American way of life. The National Republican Convention featured a married couple as primetime speakers solely because they pointed guns at a peaceful protest that they imagined threatened their property. Stop! Stop! Those people violated the law. They trespassed on clearly marked private property. Those people were armed. Those people posed a direct imminent threat to that married couple on their own private property. The calls for violence coming from some Trump supporters such as Stone... And disgraced health and human services official Michael Caputo likely will only increase as the election draws closer. Stop. The Sluffington Post seems to have omitted the fact, the publicized fact, that Democrat operatives are tearing down Democrat run cities on a nightly basis. They're looting, they're committing arson, assault, and battery, destruction of property armed robbery, carjacking. How come the Sluffington Post doesn't mention this in their article? Which continues, Public pressure, including violence in the streets, could push reluctant Republicans in power to yield to Trump's most wild demands, even if he has no legitimate case to question the election. Such an election meltdown nightmare that could paralyze the nation remains an edge case scenario it will require massive confluence of factors in which many different actors with different political and personal desires follow Trump's chaotic lead. Republican state legislatures may choose to not fulfill a Trump request to certify electors. Senate Republicans may choose to not accept these electors. A state-level version of the scenario occurred in Kentucky in 2019 when then Governor Matt Bevan, a Trump-endorsed Republican, declared that he only lost to Democrat Andy Bashir due to voter fraud in urban areas, an accusation the incumbent made up out of whole cloth. Really? So there was no fraud? No dead people voting? Come on now. Bevin called on the Republican-controlled legislature to overrule the election and install him in power, which GOP leaders considered. But after Bevin failed to produce any evidence of voter fraud, These Republicans, along with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, refused to accede to his bid. Democrats could simply win control of the incoming Senate in November's vote, fat chance, smothering this entire scenario early on. The Supreme Court could settle any number of questions, from disputed vote counts to the proper interpretation of the Electoral Count Act, although any potential court ruling on these topics now leans more in Trump's favor after the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Or the election could be outside the margin of cheating. Rick Hazen says the most likely scenario is still the election takes place and we have a winner and it's clear and that's that. But, you know, there's a non-negligible chance of a meltdown like this. The election results may very well be known the night of election. For instance, Florida officials are allowed to canvass absentee ballots ahead of the election, meaning the state's results will be known much faster than those in those three rust belt states upon which the nightmare scenario likely hinges. If Biden wins Florida, the biggest electoral vote prize among the closest swing states, he has almost certainly won the presidency. In the end, it may come down to whether a higher power answers the election administrator's prayer a pithy saying passed down from election to election by the people who run them. In November 2000, the director of the National Association of Election Officials provided his version of the prayer in USA Today's report that explained how machines help tabulate and count votes. God, please let the winner win in a landslide. But of course, God did not answer the prayer at that time. And that, boys and girls, is the Huffington Sluffington Post's account of how they're explaining the potential cheating by Democrats will be challenged by Trump or the eventual win by Trump will be challenged by crybaby Democrats we shall see I'm from Louisiana where the state motto is vote early and vote often and that's likely true since my father who died in 1979 allegedly voted Democrat in a congressional race Just two short years ago, it took us almost three and a half months to prove once again with certified copies of a death certificate that my father had indeed passed away in April of 1979. I can only hope that my recently departed son doesn't vote Democrat from the grave this time around, for I know his political leanings. And I know there's no way in hell he would vote for The panderer known as sleepy, creepy, mumbling, fumbling, stumbling, bumbling, muttering, stuttering, shuddering, puttering, mad, bad, sad, mopey, dopey, gropey, Beijing, Joe Biden. And that's going to do it for this afternoon edition of the Truth Hurts program. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audio Nautics, Thanks for the support. And to those of you who want to listen some more, this podcast is available on Spotify, Anchor FM, Apple Podcasts, and many, many others. Or you can simply type Steve Z, The Truth Hurts into your browser. We'll see you next time. Make it a great day. Did you take the Trump COVID-19 vaccine? The manufacturer has reported the following symptoms caused by the Trump vaccine. Nausea, headache, fatigue, sadness, Trump derangement syndrome, anger, violent outbursts, a desire to riot, commit arson, assault and battery, or other destructive tendencies. If you took the Trump approved vaccine and experienced any of these symptoms, you may be entitled to cash compensation. Call the law firm of Dewey, Screw'em, and Indy Ass Now for a free consultation. Studies show that people taking the Trump vaccine may have experienced serious health issues. Don't wait. The time to file is limited to the remainder of Trump's second term. Call Dewey, Screw'em, and Indy Ass Now. 1-800-VACCINE SUCKS 1-800-VACCINE SUCKS I am a non-attorney spokesperson. You have been listening to the Truth Hurts program with your host, Steve Z. Thank you for listening. We hope that this presentation has enlightened you to the things that may have been hidden from you. This is where we bring darkness to light, turn fiction into reality, and exercise our First Amendment right to free speech. Here is where the double standard is exposed and displayed for all to see. We sincerely hope that we've helped you to open your eyes to what's going on in the real world. The Truth Hurts program is produced at Studio 63 in Bayou Country in affiliation with Steve Knight Productions. Background music by Jason Shaw and Audionautics. No animals were harmed in the making of this program. It is fact. It is real. It is truth. And sometimes, the truth hurts.